Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright. We're glad you've joined us today, and we're very pleased to welcome back to the show Ted Parkhill, founding partner of Incline Investment Management, home of the Systematic Hybrid Investment Strategy. He speaks to us from their headquarters in beautiful Lake Tahoe, California. Ted, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thanks very much, Charlie. Glad to be here. So, Ted, uh, you started out at uh, Manitoba University, then uh, got an MBA at Cornell. Uh, you've had positions at various firms, including John W. Henry and Company, uh, famous commodity trading, but most people will know him as uh, the owner of the Boston Red Sox and I think other uh, storied uh, professional sports franchises. So uh, you started Incline in uh, 2012. So give us a brief uh, background of yours, will you? Sure. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate it. Yes, uh, that is correct. I worked my way up in the investment business, started out in the, uh, the long-only space, and as an analyst myself, in fact, along the way I discovered that uh, not everyone had the crystal ball they claimed to have. And so when I went, had the opportunity to go work for John Henry, John was one of the original CTAs in the space, and it was a very sort of what I call refreshing and lightning experience because he had a systematic approach and was the first one to say, hey, I don't have a crystal ball. And that, to me, was just, you know, the light bulb went on. And I just thought well, that was fantastic because I'd worked with a lot of portfolio managers that, that were paid a lot of money to have an opinion. And so I was, you know, a little bit, uh, well, how should I say, a bit cynical when it came to traditional approaches to money management. So I worked my way up in the business and then realized that I had made a lot of money for some other folks and decided it was my turn. And I had, by, by that point in my career, developed some ideas that I thought could, it, it could be done differently. And we could control all. We could still offer the benefit of what I considered the benefit of managed futures, which is non-correlated diversification. And we could do it in a different way and offer to investors in a, in a unique way. And so that's what led me to building income investment management. Along the way, I uh, met my partner, Todd Hurlbut. Todd had the uh, opportunity to work with one of the other sort of trading gurus in the business, a guy named Ed Sakota. Ed was well-known from his Commodity Corp days and ended up being profiled in Jack Schwager's uh, book called Market Wizards from back in the 90s. So Todd formed his ideas independently. We met here in Incline Village in Nevada, North Shore Lake Tahoe, discovered we shared similar philosophy, and decided to create a portfolio uh, that we today call the systematic hybrid, and we did that and launched that in the summer of 2012. So, uh, Ted, uh, let's go back to uh, John W. Henry for just a minute. He's well known. Uh, I, I presume that was him in the movie Moneyball as well, correct? It was. <laughs> he had a cameo. Uh, he was well known for his his quantitative approach to investing, and he figured that. There could be a you know a different way of doing things, and and uh, when it came to baseball, and he'd followed the stats his whole life, and and realized that 
you know what? Why not take a different approach to scouting and to, to all that? And those your listeners will know probably know the story of Moneyball, but John was one of the originals to to sort of adopt that philosophy and apply it to to uh, to his baseball operations. And I think we saw the success of that in the uh, in the breaking of the uh, the Bambino curse back in '04. Yeah. So uh, tell us. So let's put you on the spot for just a minute. And and you didn't know I was going to ask this question here. Uh, John Henry is a very successful guy from, you know, he seems to be respected by everybody. Okay. Give us a takeaway, will you, that, that you have from having worked uh, at least near him, if not directly for him, a takeaway from what he did, well, one of the things he did that caused him to be successful or things that you recognize now about that experience that, that you try to remember that you kind of learned or saw from him? Well, that, that's a great question, Charlie. The, thing, the, the biggest takeaway for me was the discipline. John, I think, has a really, really strong discipline in, in his day-to-day life, personal life, and, and he applied that to trading. And, and that was, he was one of the first that did that. Up till then, trading was really an emotional sport, if you will. And I would argue that many of the uh, folks in the trading world today still treat it as such. But John recognized the importance of, of discipline and having a, an approach, a replicable approach, so that you could do it over and over again and make money in, in a variety of different markets, but in the same way. And if you could do that over and over again, you would end up making money. And I think that was sort of the, 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 the real trick to it was that, and, and sort of what I remember is to say, just when you feel, and I, I emphasize that word, just when you feel like you should make a change is probably the time not to make a change. And that's what I mean by discipline. In other words, the old Tom Peters, stick to your knitting, right? Like, and, and have the gumption or the, uh, the, the, the guts, as we politically correctly say today, is to really, if you come up with a methodology, you really got to stick to that methodology. You can't second-guess yourself. The moment you're second-guessing yourself when you're in the systematic space is the, is, is the time you're no longer systematic. That's probably the key takeaway lesson that I had working uh, at John Henry and, and, working for, and, and witnessing how John built his programs. Hey, thank you very much. And again, uh, the rest of us, we only hear about uh, John Henry and others like him, and it's great to hear from somebody who actually had experience with him and and could learn directly from him. So you've used a couple of words so far. We want to uh, let our audience know exactly how you see them, okay? One is systematic. What do you mean by systematic? And the second is you said vol. I presume you mean volatility. And, And what you mean by that in talking about your strategies and strategies in the commodities and future space? Yeah, great question. I use those terms just like, you know, regularly, and I almost mistakenly assume everyone knows what they mean. But you're absolutely right. Not everyone does. And so we have to remind ourselves to step back and, and explain it. So I'm happy to do that. When it comes to systematic, it really just, you know, it's like the going back to the root of the English word. It's having a system, having a disciplined process to approach trading. And what that means is is to come up with some quantitative 
and rules. And, and today we popularize the word algorithm. And the word algorithm is really just a fancy way of saying, I have a set, definite, defined set of rules that we follow in respect to our trading. It gets a little deeper than that, though, because as you can imagine, it gets complex quickly. And so when you have certain rules, you have to, def you have to, to determine what it is that they define. And so, for example, for us, it's when to trade, when to buy, when to sell, how big a position, this is a really critical component of what we do, how big a position do we take, and where do we place our stop? Because remember, as a, uh, well, I should say, as a quantitative manager, we have a stop on every single trade. And so the system dictates how and uh, how we trade, when we trade, how big we trade, and when and, 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 and how we get out. And that's the algorithm, in, in a sense, as, as to what it does. And so we've stripped out the emotional part of the trading. So much of trading is, is, is wrapped up in, in investors' behavior. And you see that constantly with the, with the volatility, and I'll talk about volatility in a second. You see that in the daily markets, like market's up 2% today. Why? Is it because something so fundamentally changed that, 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 that warranted everything to go up together? Typically, that isn't the case. Typically, it's because investors are reacting, and they're reacting emotionally. They're, they're behaving relative to something they either saw on the news or whatever. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that the fundamental values have changed. It means investors are reacting. The difference between a quantitative manager and a fundamental manager is that we don't react. We don't actually respond to the, 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 what's happening in the news. Instead, we're following a system, and that's what comes back, and that the system is developed relative to a, a very precise set of quantitative rules. Now, does that make you unique in terms of commodity managers? Uh, no, actually, you know, every manager will tell you, oh, we're really unique. In that instance, uh, we're not. In, in fact, most of the uh, managers in the space, what we call managed futures, tends, tend to have a, a, uh, a systematic approach to investing. There are a few discretionary managers out there, as, as we call them. The discretionary managers have a tough time. There are not many of them because many of them don't make it for very long because they're, again, trying to determine, you know, how to invest on based on the fundamentals, and that's a very, very difficult thing to do and get right over time. Charlie, so the one thing I didn't answer was sort of the second part of your question about volatility. And volatility, we, we talk about sort of the it's a common term, but basically standard deviation of, of, of an investment. In other words, uh, as I like to say, using a rather technical term, how much does it wiggle? <laughs> That's very technical, words, yeah. Yeah, very technical. How much does it actually change over time? And, and so how much level, how much risk is, is an investor willing to take? And, and that's typically measured by standard deviation. And, and that can vary uh, right across the board. Some of the managed futures guys can be very highly volatile because, remember, uh, leverage is embedded in, in the futures contract. So if you, you can run one contract on a market and sort of at what we call a 1x, or you could take three contracts in that market and juice it up by 3x, but you will typically significantly in, uh, increase your volatility by doing that. Um, however, it is possible to control and manage volatility using a, a, a codified system. 
You know, Ted, uh, a question for you here. Uh, again, not, not to put you on the spot. Well, we'll put you on the spot. You're Canadian. You, you can handle it, you know. Turtle traders. Uh, for some of our audience, they may not be aware. Back in the mid-80s, uh, somebody in Chicago, I forget his name, uh, he put an ad in the newspaper and said, we're willing to teach you how to be commodity traders. So they brought in, I don't know, a dozen or so people. They taught them how to be com commodities traders. And that was made kind of uh, well-known or even famous uh, in a book uh, th that he uh, wrote about that. And we've had uh, at least one of those um, that are still in the business uh, on our our show and uh, we've been told that back in the mid 80s you could be taught the system of commodity trading and you could go out and after a few weeks you could trade and you could do very well you could make very good uh, profits and so you yourself could make a lot of money those same people say that is not the case today that it is multiples more difficult and harder today so Ted you've been in this business for some time what has changed? Well, let me address that first. It was actually Richard Dennis. Uh, Richard Dennis, right, and right. William Eckhart right. were the two principals of sort of that, that, that created that experiment back. I think it goes back to the early 80s, 83, I think, is, is the right number. And they, it was a bit of an experiment. It's almost like the old trading places, you know, the old movie. And, and they did pull it off. And there are a number of turtle traders that, that it did survive and still run successful operations today. You know, I would say that the sophistication level has increased, and and there there are some things that have changed, but the, a lot of the fun, like a lot of the original premises, still apply. It is possible to take somebody out of you know, an environment and teach them to trade, but I think the key point when people say teach you to trade, well, you you, you know all you need today is is uh, a terminal, right, and you can day trade to yeah, your heart's content, right, right. That's not what we're talking about, though. What we're talking about is developing a system that, that is replicable over time. And that is harder today. There, you know, it helps to have some level of, of quantitative background so that you can understand the code. You can build code if you want. There are also tools today that we utilize internally that help us with some of that, of, of the trial and error, the, the um, building blocks, if you will, of building an algorithm. And so it depends, you know, if you want to build something that's robust over time, uh, having some experience in the business obviously makes a difference. But, yeah, no, it's still possible for somebody to come up with something that works. Um, and we see new entrants all the time. And I would say that, that, you know, we shouldn't discount those new entrants. Some of them have come up with ways of doing it that uh, are very, very uh, successful. You know, Ted, uh, what I have found by uh – Talking with you and others in uh, what I will call the managed future space, investing in commodities through the futures marketplace, is that, you know, it sounds great in theory when we talk about it. There's diversification. There's a little correlation with the S&P 500. Uh, these are huge markets throughout the world. It all sounds great. Great opportunities. But the five out of the last six years that marketplace has gotten clobbered and the returns have not been good for anybody so why do you think you guys can do this when it hasn't been done in the recent past yeah that that's the the uh what is it the ten dollar question yeah <laughs> the twenty dollar question 
It, that's a really good point, Charlie, because you know what? It has been a very difficult t- time. What I've seen over my career is that these things do tend to be cyclical. What we've seen in the last cycle is this massive bull run. No one predicted it. I mean, there's very few people that, that were, you know, 100% equities all the way, baby, because this is coming back to the extent it has. The managed futures space really is about diversification, and even more importantly, what we call non-correlation. It's completely different. The managed futures space is typically trading a whole bunch of different markets across the globe that are unrelated to the U.S. stock market. In this environment that we've seen that's been so strong, the other markets, there really hasn't been a lot of trends. There hasn't been a lot of movement in these markets that has been that the managed futures managers have typically been able to capture. And so we often get asked, is market volatility a good thing for us? And the answer is, classic finance answer is, it depends. Flat vol, or what I just call wiggly across the horizon, is not good for most of us. And if it's significant volatility across the horizon, we can get you know into a position stopped out, we can go short, get stopped out, and it, we just basically de- die the death of a thousand fork wounds. So some type of volatility is not necessarily good for us. Volatility, upside or downside, can be good. And so what we've seen is a lack of directional, sustained directional moves, and that's why I think the category as a whole has, has done poorly. On a relative basis, there are some of us that have done really well because of the composition of our portfolios. And in our case, when we built our original program, and I might talk a little bit about that if you want me to, because we did something completely different that made the difference. Give it to so us in, in 45 seconds here. Outperform. Give it to us in 45 seconds, uh, Ted. Sure. What we did was the typical managed futures guy takes 15% margin equity, applies it to his futures trading. He takes 85% of it in his cash. And in the world of interest rates, when 4 or 5%, it was a great methodology. They would profit out of the gate. We recognized that that wasn't going to be always be the case. And in you know, almost a zero interest rate environment, when nothing was happening, we applied 50 of our 85 to, to systematic equity trading. That made a huge difference to us and our portfolio and our strategy, and that's how we were able to outperform most of the managed future of the category as a whole. Equity? Are we talking domestic, long, short? Uh, what are we talking? In our about? case, we to the layman we say long, short, but it's really not. It's 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 taking uh, using our systematic methodology, taking long positions in individual equities. We use our futures expertise to mitigate the long only risk. So. If there's a downturn, we're going to get a signal to put on our short futures index position. That's how we manage our downside risk. But we actually can participate in the in the um, uptick of equities in general because of our long exposure in individual names. Um, that's the short short version of, of how we manage that half of our portfolio. So you buy individual uh, equities, but you hedge them on an index. Yes, we can be hedged. It doesn't necessarily we're always hedged. Right. But if, if if the directional move is is up, the hedge won't be on. If there's a, it, uh, a, a over time, if there's a downturn in the equity markets in general, the hedge will kick in and then effectively become a hedge. And then at some point, as the individual names get scaled or stopped out, we end up being net short in our equity engine. Ted, uh, again, in 45 seconds, uh, tell us some misperceptions that you find by investors on investing in commodities and futures. 
you know, I think a lot of folks, it's a lack of understanding. And I think it stems partly from the, the original, almost original regulations. It's a misnomer to call many of us commodity trading advisors or commodity pool operators. The word commodity conjures up images for most investors like, you know, pork bellies, right? Which don't need, as, as, as a category doesn't exist anymore as a future category. So it's kind of odd. People think commodities, oh, it's high risk. It's, it's, it, you know, crazy. And yet the commodity, or I should say the futures world has evolved much beyond just commodities. You have the stock index futures, which allow you to manage risk depending on your portfolio exposure. You have the currency futures, which allows you know investors and speculators and hedgers to manage their currency risk. And then you have the fixed income bond futures globally, right? None of this existed really when they wrote the uh, CFTC Act of 1974. So they didn't foresee all of these. We have Bitcoin futures today, right? right. None of that existed back in the 70s. And so to call it, is Bitcoin futures, is that a commodity? That's a, probably a separate discussion, Charlie. Right. But I would argue that that it's much more than that today. It's gaining exposure to different levels of of global markets that just didn't exist in the old days. And so I think that's part of the issue in terms of perception. And then and it goes back to risk. I like to think of us as the cops of the industry. We we actually protect risk if we're doing our jobs correctly, rather than just taking on risk like some perceive us to be doing. You know, cops of the industry. That, I'm going to use that all week here, uh, Ted. That That is great. Ted, last question for you. You have a, a strong background academically, experience, etc. You could be doing any number of things, perhaps not in Lake Tahoe, California, but you could be working in Chicago, New York, etc., working for some big firms, having benefits that you don't have in your small office there at Lake Tahoe. Why are you doing this with Incline? Okay, first thing, correction on that one, Charlie, we're actually on the good side. We're actually in Nevada. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lower taxes, yeah. yeah. I understand that one. <laughs> yeah, and the second thing is, you know what? It's the flexibility of, of doing my own thing and, and recognizing we could build something that adds value that some of the big firms can't. And one of the reasons that, that, that we get excited about what we do is because of our size, we can offer and trade markets that the big guys can't because of size. You know, I remember at John Henry, for example, we got to a certain size where we could no longer trade the corn contract because of the position limits on corn. And so we can trade some of the smaller commodity markets, some of the currency markets, some of the markets that, that you just don't get exposure to with some of the big guys. And so that is an advantage to us as a firm our size, and we can provide a different return profile because of it. And we think that's our advantage. So besides that, I'm running my own shop, and it's, and, you know, Todd and I run it together. We have a great team based here, and we can run it from here. The beautiful part today with modern technology, you can run it from anywhere. Why wouldn't I live here and run this operation rather than having to do the, the, the great shuffle in from Connecticut into Midtown. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. And we can compete with those guys because our overhead is way lower. And, we've, you know, if we deliver the returns, investors will find us. You know, Ted, uh, we've heard several times, especially in the last few months, about the specific advantage 
that today smaller firms have over larger firms in trading. And uh, that's, a, that's a message I'm not reading in the Wall Street Journal. And that's a message that I think at this point, most investors and advisors uh, and others in that industry don't really recognize that that actually today is a benefit because people typically think of they're a big firm. They, in so many ways, they have advantage over small firms. They may have advantages in certain ways, but if you can't invest or trade what you want to trade, that information you got from all those computers didn't do you much good, right? Well, absolutely. You know, there's another angle to this that I always think. I think back to the sort of traditional investment world. If you, if you work for one of the big, um, brokerage firms, and we could name names if we had to, but one of the big wirehouses, let's say, you know, what's their mantra? They're advising their brokers, who are, in, in my view, are called, to call themselves financial advisors, which is a bit of a misnomer in itself. Anybody on a commission is not a, necessarily a financial advisor. That's a whole other soapbox we could get into. But the fact is that their mantra still is 60-40. Well, 60-40 is not going to work going forward, particularly if bonds are no longer the safe haven that they've been for the last 30 years. And investors, the smarter and more savvy investors, are going to look to managers like us that can give them exposure to global bond markets, but we could be short bonds going forward. We're not going to be sitting holding a 40% allocation in long bonds. So we could be a really smart alternative to investors going forward, particularly if the, uh, shall we say, the caca hits the rotating oscillator. Like this is, could be really important going forward at, at diversification. And the big firms aren't promoting it at all. You're not getting that level of service or advice from these big firms. And so to us, this sort of goes back to your previous question. Why are we doing this? Because we really believe that we're offering investors a, a, a valuable um, alternative. You know, Ted, uh, I've heard the term oscillator used many, many times in various ways, but you were quite original with that one. I tell you. So, Ted, uh, for those who would like to know more, your website and contact information. Our website is uh, www.inclineim, incline the word, I as in investment, and M as in management.com. Okay, very good. So final words for our listeners. You know, I think going forward, what we're hearing is a lot of investors are not happy with the advice they're getting from their advisors really need to think hard about what their asset allocation mix you know looks like going forward and i i really believe that it's you know been easy for the 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 passive investors the index investors to do well over the last few years and and so that makes sense i get it but they should be asking themselves what's it going to look like in the next five years and what could happen are there global events that could impact you in other words while diversification may have cost you for the last six years Think hard about how diversification may benefit you going forward and look to managers like us, the smaller managers, the more nimble managers that are going to offer you exposure that you don't currently have in your portfolio. And that's what we hear over and over again. Oh, I've made my money in real estate. Oh, I made my money in, you know, whatever. Think hard and, and really dig deep and, and, and determine what kind of asset allocation mix you should have going forward. Look for non-correlated solutions if you can. Ted, always interesting to listen to you. Great to see you at Alts LA a few weeks ago. And our best wishes to you and uh, to Incline Management to continue to enjoy life there in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and uh, to continue to grow Incline Investment Management. And thank you very much for being with us today.
John, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and, and thanks again for having me here. It's fantastic. Okay, again, we've been talking with Ted Parkhill, founding partner of Incline Investment Management, again in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you uh, contact us and hear your opinions. Uh, info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you a very enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. Thank you.